Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. On this episode, I have joining me Luke DeCock, columnist with the Raleigh News and Observer, and a friend of mine. He's going to join me to break down the Louisville-Duke football game, which is a pivotal game in the race to get to the ACC title game in Charlotte. In December, Florida State obviously has positioned itself as the front runner, and the Cards and Blue Devils are amongst the team fighting to be in that second place. We'll also touch a little bit on ACC basketball with the ACC tip-off happening this week, which is the media day kind of uh, signaling the start of the season. But before we get into all of that, let's jump into a little CL Sounds Off. This sound off goes to Lincoln Riley, the USC football coach, and to basically any coach, regardless of the sports that is that are trying to limit their players to try and control so much of the messaging from their programs. Lincoln Riley, this is his second media failing this this season. He suspended a writer basically for doing his job, not not for digging for dirt, not for doing something outside of what he was supposed to be doing. This writer from the Orange County Register used the antidote in the story ended up getting suspended his credential revoked or what have you for for a week or so uh basically for using an antidote that these two players for usc were talking in front of the media mind you and they just mentioned how nervous they were about whatever availability that was and and talking to the media and so this writer used that antidote in the story which which the father of the player basically said it was it was you know accurate it, it basically depicted how his son was and how his son was feeling but for for that the writer gets suspended so that was a fail on Lincoln Riley's part and his second failing was after their loss to Utah on Saturday a last second loss on a field goal he didn't allow the players to speak. As far as I know, he didn't allow his assistant coaches to speak to. And that's wrong for a lot of reasons. It shows a lack of trust in his players. It shows a lack of accountability that his players can't go in front of, of media, can't get in front of the cameras and, and just talk about what went wrong, which, 
you know, this is supposed to be a teaching and growing process when they're in college. Their 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 feelings won't be hurt. I, I guarantee you. I've covered plenty of players and plenty of situations over plenty of years, and <laughs> they bounce back quickly. These are these are young people you're talking about with short attention spans. And it also, I think it's a lack of opportunity for them because in this age of NIL, they need to allow their personalities to show. They need to allow their character to show. They need to be out in front. And many of them already are. You know, they've been through the recruiting process. They're out on social media. They already have a level of media savvy that kids 20 years ago even didn't have. And that, in addition to the preparation they get from a lot of sports information staffs at their respective colleges, especially at a place like USC, you know, they're going to be prepared to talk. And, and it kind of reminded me of the 20, what was it, 2011 Big East basketball tournament uh, where Louisville lost to UConn. Mike Mara had a couple of plays that didn't go his way for L late in that game. He had a bad turnover on an inbounds pass that led to UConn uh, taking the lead. And, and he he missed the free throw late. I think he fouled on a three-point. He was, he was fouled on a three-pointer. He made missed the first and made two of those three free throws. But it, it could have tied the game. But it, you know, missing it kept Louisville behind. And after the game... I was the first to approach him in the locker room and you know I mean he was obviously distraught he's crying before or he had tears in his eyes he wasn't actively crying when I approached him but uh it it was tough you know but he sat there he answered the questions you know and we're talking about a young man here um in Madison Square Garden in, in a big game and he had to sit there and take questions and and answer them um, after having his not best moment in athletics, right? Um, so I, I, I wonder how Mike Mara would reflect on that now. But the point is, he sat there and answered the questions. And, and I think he matured and grew from that situation. So this just goes out to all the coaches out there, man. Let the players talk, right? <laughs> That's enough of me sounding off here. Let's get Luke to join me on this podcast joining me now i have my former colleague and definitely the man i respect luke decock columnist with the raleigh news and observer luke thank you for joining the show i appreciate you having me on i'm excited to speak to all the louisville fans who are angry at me for saying that uh they were gonna get smoked by notre dame (laughs) you're one week off right uh, <laughs> I was uh, a hair, a hair, a hair early. Yes. Well, uh, that's obviously the, the the big game this week is Louisville and Duke um, coming to town, which on paper at the beginning of the year, I kind of wondered how big of a game this actually would be because I just felt like Duke was going to get buried by their schedule. And um, they've they've come out <laughs> not unscathed, clearly, but, you know, they've held their own. They've they've definitely, I feel like, gained a lot of respect in this league with the way that they've played so far this year. But the, the big question, I guess I'll start off with is uh, Riley Leonard's status for Saturday. Is there is there any kind of an update that you know of? 
you know, day to day is what they've been saying all along, um, even going into the Florida State game. Um, I haven't heard that there's been a change from that. Um, uh, but I also wasn't over with Mike Elko this morning. So uh, or this afternoon, a couple hours ago. So, no, I mean, you know, the thing about Riley Leonard was before he re-injured himself at Florida State. Um, you know, he wasn't really himself in terms of he wasn't very elusive. Uh, he had one he had one run uh, for 13 yards, but he wasn't you know, he's normally a runner. Um, and but he and he had some very uncharacteristic overthrows where he was clearly kind of throwing off his back foot and airmailed open receivers. Uh, but he was effective and he was good enough for Duke to, you know, take a lead into the fourth quarter. So um, it's it's really interesting now. What do you do? Because obviously he's not at full strength. He runs the risk of being re-injured as he was Saturday night. Now that's a weird play. That's a guy grabbing his face mask and twisting his head around, pulling his helmet off. That put all of his weight onto his right leg. Um, that's not the kind of play you're normally going to encounter. I mean, that was just kind of a worst case scenario in terms of if Florida State was going to take a personal foul against Riley Leonard, that was up there for the worst thing that could happen. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Henry Beal in the fourth, who's the backup, uh, has a really, really strong arm, uh, but he's not doesn't have the same degree of mobility and he doesn't have the same command of the offense. And you could see that when Riley Leonard went out, Florida State just teed off on the Duke offense. They had run the ball really effectively to that point, but without the threat of throwing, um, everything fell apart. And obviously Florida State scored a ton of points in the fourth quarter. Um, that game was a lot closer than the score reflects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Duke Duke really was in control of that game. And, you know, I there's, there were several key plays, one of which was, you know, Duke giving up a kickoff return right after going up. Uh, I think it was 17-7. Um, you know, giving up a kickoff return for a touchdown immediately and getting the building back into it because the stadium had kind of gone gone dim. But Duke's a different team with Riley Leonard. There's no doubt. Uh, I also think you saw against NC State, uh, they're a team that's capable of winning without him. They're not capable of going on the road and beating the number four team in the country without him, although they came pretty close. Uh, but they're also capable of winning without him because they can run the ball so well and because their defense is so good. So um, it's obviously a huge deal for Duke. Uh, but they've also shown they can win without him. Uh, and, you know, look, NC State's not a very good football team. That, that much is obvious at this point in the ACC season. Um, but uh, but it was, a, it was a win. And so I think Duke's going to feel okay about their chances, even if he can't play. Yeah. How, how much, I don't know, uh, did you do the preseason vote for the ACC? I did not. Okay, okay. I, I, my question was going to be, how much has Louisville's start to this year surprised you? I, I kind of felt like uh, they're they're this year's Duke in terms of uh, over exceeding expectations. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think they've over exceeded a little bit. I think they benefited from their early schedule, um, but you still have to win those games. Um, I think everybody thought with all the Bromes coming in that there was going to be some level of improvement. Um uh, I think what we've seen is a team that's pretty well coached, makes pretty good use of its strengths. Um, I I don't know that I would say overachieved necessarily. I mean, I think you you balance out the Notre Dame win with the with the bad loss and just kind of you know the rest of it. Uh, uh, I guess you'd have to say overachieved because these are games Louisville wasn't winning a year ago and they won them now. Um, 
But I also think, you know, in the in the sort of given the state of the ACC with Virginia way down, Virginia Tech way down, NC State way down, there's some low hanging fruit to be picked if you're a Louisville or a Georgia Tech. Um, obviously, Virginia was able to beat Carolina, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Um, <laughs> uh, although Carolina certainly has a history of of tripping over its own shoelaces as a double digit favorite. But I think more than anything, you know, I, I look at Louisville as a team that's sort of taking care of business and made the most of its opportunities when it's had them. And that, and look, man, in college football in 2023, if you're not Alabama, uh, that's all you can ask. And you pull off one big upset, you try to avoid that, that disheartening loss. But, but I, you know, I definitely, if I had been a preseason voter, I definitely would not have Louisville in the top four or five of the league where they are now. Um, Certainly would not have thought them to be in contention for a spot in Charlotte at the end of October. So I guess you'd have to say in that sense overachieving, but I also think it's a team that's done well with its opportunities. Um, you know, you look at the NC State game. That's a game that Louisville could easily have lost. Yeah. Um, you know, NC State, not a great team, but at home. And, um, you know, Louisville really had, really had that sort of taking care of business feel to it, especially in the second half, uh, being down in that game and, and basically shutting down NC State's offense in the second half. Um, although NC State had a lot to do with that, but again, you know, these are these is this is taking advantage of the opportunities that your schedule presents, um, and doing it doing it the right way. So I, I yeah, I mean, I guess it's hard for me to say without putting my sort of preseason fourteen out there, but um, yeah, certainly did not expect Louisville to be sort of in this conversation of one of really the four teams with a chance to go to Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. So um, Louisville along with losing the pit game, lost starting right tackle Renato Brown, starting running back Jawar Jordan has a hamstring issue, and he he might be kind of touch and go for Saturday. Starting cornerback Javaris Brownlee Jr., who's, who's to me is one of the best corners in the league. Like you, you never hear his name because nobody throws his way, basically. Um, he's also dealing with a foot issue, although Brom said he's he's hopeful that he'll be able to play on Saturday. But still, if if you know Jordan and Brownlee are not able to go, or even if they're not full strength, I think we're gonna see, we're gonna test how just how deep that running back uh room is for Louisville. And we might see some Storm Duck versus Duke. How about that? <laughs> That's amazing. This is it's a college football in 2023. I, I mean, I think Jordan's terrific, and I, you know, I, 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 it's, I think I love the season he's having statistically. Uh, I love the plays he can make. Um, so I think you know, it, you, you, Louisville without him is a different team to me offensively. Yeah. Um, Duke defensively, they've done a good job against the run. Uh, the the thing about Duke, and this is what opponents kind of find out. It's what Florida State found out, even with their big receivers, even with Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and. Um, Johnny Bell was really the tight end was was the guy who killed Duke um, in the passing game kind of over the middle of the field but um, their defense their secondary is big and physical um, Notre Dame really struggled getting space against that secondary uh, Clemson's terrible receivers really struggled to get any space against that secondary um, it's a big physical hard-hitting group that plays good tight coverage now they they, they don't play sort of standard man or standard zone. They do some weird stuff. That's kind of one of the concepts that Mike Elko brought with him to Durham. And I can't fully explain it. I just know that it's not, you know, what I can draw up on a board. But their they're sort of hybrid coverages are, are designed to sort of make the most of these big, strong guys they have in the backfield. I mean, Benny Blades, Nephew Al Blades, 
um, is a, is a really strong defensive player. He plays strong. Um, and, and because of that, they can do some things in the running game defensively um, because they have guys in the, in the back. They don't have to rely on their front seven to stop the run. They have guys in the back and come up and make plays against the run. So it's a, it's an interesting matchup. I mean, I think Louisville at full strength based on what I saw against NC state um, would maybe have some opportunities uh, getting to moving side to side and, things like that. Uh, but I think you need Jordan. I think you need that threat, uh, that big play threat, that home run threat um, to keep Duke off guard. Because if you let Duke stay in their base sets and um, they'll, they'll hammer you, they're big. They're, you know, the other thing about Duke's defense is these guys are all almost all 50 year, 60 year guys. I mean, it's like, it's like there's guys out there like 26, 27 years old. So, um, you know, they, they don't make rookie mistakes. They're old, they're experienced, they're big. They've spent a lot of time in the weight room. Um, I would really, if I were Louisville, I'd really want that sort of home run threat from Jordan to to to, to loosen them up a little bit. Because if you let them sit back and just play their base sets, um, they're really hard to move the ball against. Yeah, so I was trying to find, and I, I didn't get to put enough time into researching this. <laughs> it didn't seem like Mike Elko brought in a ton of transfer guys, though. Like, is a lot of this basically leftovers from, personnel-wise, leftovers from Cutcliffe? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, he brought in some pretty key transfers, um, you know, the sort of target on the offensive line in the defensive secondary. Um, they they probably, you know, they definitely were active in the transfer portal more than Duke football typically is for sure. Um, but really the last two years, they've done two things is one, they've taken a team that had some talent. You know, that was the thing about well, when, when history looks back at what went wrong under David Cutcliffe at the end? Because here's a guy who came in, took a program that's way worse than it was when Mike Elko took over. I mean, people forget Duke won a lawsuit when they got sued by Louisville. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> by the, the way they won that lawsuit back in 2006 or seven, whenever it was, they successfully argued in court that their football program was so bad <laughs> they didn't hurt Louisville by backing out of a non-conference game because literally any other team in the country would be a substitute. I mean, that was the state of Duke football when David Cutcliffe took over. Um, what happened at the end was not so much a lack of talent, although, you know, at, they were in kind of a, a dip at quarterback that, you know, Riley Leonard was coming. I mean, he's a Cutcliffe recruit. So there was, you know, help on the way. He wasn't ready yet. It was more brain drain. I mean, they had a lot of uh, really good assistant coaches. Jim Knowles, who's now the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Uh, Matt Luke, who went on to be the head coach at Ole Miss. I mean, they had these guys who were good. They left, and they just, you know, weren't replaced. Uh, and, and so you kind of had the situation where you had a lot of guys who were sort of promoted graduate assistants coaching the program, and it, it things just sort of started to slide. And once they slide in college football, it's hard to get it back. So, you know, Mike Elko had a couple of advantages. He had a bigger budget to hire staff and was able to go out and get people he knew and could work with. But there was still talent in the program. And he was able to kind of get them into the weight room, which is, you know, important. I mean, I think a lot of college football is how good your strength coach is. Yeah. And he also gave them some belief. And, he, you know, one of the things that he said uh, this year, I don't remember him saying it before last season, maybe he did, was, his staff did not watch any film of Duke when they came in. They didn't go through and grade players or evaluate them. They basically said, look, it's a fresh start for everybody. We're going to judge you by what you do in spring, by what you do in fall camp. Don't worry about what's happened before. And I think for a lot of players, that was just sort of a relief. It was just a chance to hit the reset button. And they played like it last year. You know, they just played like they believed. And that was the thing about Cutcliffe's good Duke teams, which lasted for a long time, was – 
you know, they played like they believed they play, you know, that was, you know, Duke football. Hell yeah. Duke football. Like they bought into all of that. And Elko was able to sort of rekindle that and bring it back. So he wasn't starting from scratch. There was still some talent here. Certainly there'd been a little bit of a dip, especially at quarterback. Uh, but, but more than anything, he was able to kind of coach them up and give them some belief, coach them up, love them up, you know, like the old, the old recipe. Um, and then, you know, bring in some, you know, as you mentioned, not a ton of transfers, but very targeted transfers who could help them. But when you look at the guys who are their impact players, whether it's, you know, Jacob Monk on the offensive line or um, Dwayne Carter on the defensive line. I mean, these are guys who've been in the program for a long time. Riley Leonard, David Cutcliffe recruit. You know, I believe they still talk to each other because, you know, that's the connection that Cuts always had with his quarterbacks. So, um, you know, that that kind of thing is is there's a mix there. But really, it was giving them belief and giving them some new schemes that they could succeed in. Yes, yes. Well, um, we will end the football talk with this question. Do you have a prediction for Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I just think even without Riley Leonard, Duke is a good enough team defensively um, at the skill positions. Um, I I would expect Duke to win this game. I mean, people are going to look at whatever the final score ended up being in Tallahassee, 38-20. I mean, I was barely paying attention in the fourth quarter. I was writing. It was clear the game was over. Um Duke dominated the first half of that game. I mean, it was really took a very, very powerful Florida State offense and gave it a lot of trouble. Made two huge fourth down stops in the on the first two possessions where Florida State basically came out and said, we don't respect you. We're going to go for it on fourth down on your 35. Then we're going to go for it on fourth down on our 35 because we don't think you can stop us. And, and Florida State seemed a little thrown, like a little shook after that. Like, wait, maybe these guys are good. <laughs> I, I think Duke's got a little bit of that swagger. So I, I think, uh, I, uh, you know, if Riley Leonard plays, then Duke will probably score more points. But I think Duke is is a good enough team defensively to win like a, a 24-17, 24-10 game. Yes, yes. And, I mean, I know we're, we're going to have a ton of basketball <laughs> coming up here. And – I I couldn't have you on and not at least get one one basketball take given you know the the changeover from the Roy Williams the Coach K's the Jim Beheims of the league and now you know here in Louisville it's the Kenny Payne in year two and the league overall it just hasn't been what ACC basketball you know traditionally has been I mean I know Miami made the Final Four run which was obviously. Uh, a feather in the cap for the league. But again, we're looking at what Duke Miami Carolina is the only ranked teams preseason. And to me, it's, it's still not a ton of talent, just like you're looking at first rounders or, or just pros, you know, on, on a deep roster um, in the league. So, you know, what, 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 how do you view coming into this AC season, ACC season, just in terms of, the league trying to get its footing back on the national on a national scale. Yeah, I think it still has a lot of work to do. And the scary thing is when you bring in Cal and Stanford and SMU, it's only going to drag everybody's net down farther because those, I mean, SMU's had some decent teams lately, but Cal and Stanford are terrible basketball programs and have been uh, for a long time. You know, Stanford had a a bit of a run and I mean, Cal beat Duke in the Jason Kidd era, but now we're talking generations ago. Um, it's going to get worse. So, I mean, I think that when the ACC is at its best, it's when everybody is is kind of competing for that upper echelon. And right to me, next year, there's four teams 
that clearly stand out and everybody else is a, a huge step below Duke, Carolina, Miami, and Virginia, um, I think are sort of a, 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 a sort of a, a tier ahead of everybody else. But, um, you know, you kind of said, like, where's the talent, right? Like, where are the NBA players? They don't go to the ACC anymore. Uh, it used to be, you know, when you didn't have NBA talent at places like Georgia Tech or Florida State, then you had these Hall of Fame coaches. Um, I guess Florida State counts too, but it's Syracuse or wherever who could sort of make something out of it. But, you know, this is a, a league that sent so many teams to the Final Four over the years. And like, you know, NC State's not in that position. Georgia Tech's not in that position. Um, you know, Syracuse probably not in that position. It's just, they're just not even in that conversation. And and the glory is the ACC, you you know, all right, so it's a 19 league, but you go into the season with, what, six teams that had legitimate Final Four or Elite Eight aspirations? I mean, it's very hard to say that now. And All right, so some of that is talent's more spread out than it used to be. Um, the one-and-done era sort of hasn't been that kind to the ACC because you've had programs like Kentucky that really have embraced that. I mean, Duke obviously is it has as well, but um, yeah, it's just it's 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 weird. You know, the ACC should be more experienced and it should have like more players who are good and have been around, but it doesn't. It's a young league, but then it's it's like I would say, okay, it's a young league, but like all it feels like all the really good young players are elsewhere. They're in the Big Twelve. They're in the SEC. Um, it it feels like it's got the worst mix of. We don't have good young talent. We don't have good old talent. Um, so it's it's hard. I mean, uh, the coaching turnover has hurt. Traditional programs like NC State and Georgia Tech, power-up programs, being down has hurt. Um, but in the end, I think part of it is in the 15-team league, you can't have as much dead weight as the ACC has carried around the last few years. And until last year, you know, Pitt struggled, Boston College has struggled, though I really like what Earl Grant has done there. Louisville, obviously, the last couple of years has struggled to compete. Um, you just kind of can't have those teams dragging you down. You're, the, the floor needs to be higher in the ACC than it has been really for the last decade. I mean, there's been dead weight in the ACC for, for a long time now. Um, and the other thing the ACC has to do, and you and I can have this conversation until we're blue in the face, it's got to win non-conference games. Yeah. The ACC's like people are like, oh, well, the net, and it gets locked in because the ACC – look. ACC last year non-conference, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I looked them up last year. It was losing games in non-conference play. It had never lost before. Hmm. You know, you you go back 10 years, let's say, 12 years, less than that even, 20, 2016 season, when the ACC, which year was it the ACC had three number one seeds? Was that 19? 2019. Okay, let's go back to 19. Let's go back to 19. You go back to 19, the ACC lost like, I, again, I looked this up, lost like, three games to teams with a Ken Palm in the triple digits, right? So you've lost, you've lost some games to teams in the top hundred, but you've limited your losses to teams outside the top hundred. Last year, the ACC was like 500 against teams outside the top hundred. Like <laughs> you've got, you've got to, you've got to win those games. And then that sets you up for the rest of the season. And lately, you know, whether it's whoever it is, it's every program has been guilty of it. Um, you've got, you've got to do a better job in the non-conference because that sets you up you know, the net does sort of stratify based on how you do in the non-conference. You can't move it a lot in conference play. And ACC ADs keep complaining about it, but I keep telling them, win more games in November and December and it won't be a problem for you. And that's and that's just it. The ACC has been losing games in November and December. It never lost before. You go back, like, three Clemson coaches, whether it was Oliver Purnell or 
Cliff Ellis, whoever. How many years was Clemson undefeated coming into AC, ACC play and then just <laughs> got true. smoked, yeah. right? But Clemson won those games back yeah. in the day, yeah. and now they don't. And it's not just Clemson. I'm not singling them out, but Clemson was sort of famous for being 13-0 and 0 coming into ACC play and then going like 1-8 <laughs> and 8 in January. So – um yeah i mean that's that that phenomenon has changed like right now i, I pulled up ken palm while we're talking acc going into the season preseason is the sixth best conference like that's totally unacceptable mind and i'll tell you what you fold cal and stanford and smu in there and they might be behind the mountain west because those are three At, smu is not terrible cal and stanford the last couple of years terrible terrible and so you know it's just uh i i, I think you've the, the number one thing for the ACC, whether it's Virginia Tech or Wake Forest or Louisville or Georgia Tech, is stop losing to bad teams. Yeah. Once you do that, now you can start to move forward. But as long as you keep losing to bad teams, you're in trouble. Well, that is definitely the mandate in Louisville <laughs> after 4-28 <laughs> last year. But they, they should definitely be a lot better this well, season. I hope so, man. I yes, hope so. Well. We will wrap it up there. I definitely want to have you back later on once once hoops really starts up to uh, to get more insight. But I appreciate you joining me. Of course, man. Of course. Now let's move on to some pickup lines. I went one and two last week bringing my total over all this season to 13-9-2 against the spread and 18-6 and straight up. Let's uh, get back on the winning side of things. I mean, what's going on? I haven't had many one or two records over the course of the season, but still above 500, so that's good. Let's jump right into Louisville is a four-point favorite against Duke at home on Saturday. I'm going to take Louisville to cover that and win straight up. Brief sample size, but Louisville's 5-0 in their last five home games against the spread with Lincoln, uh, with (laughs) Riley Leonard's playing status kind of up in the air. And even if he plays, he's certainly not going to be 100%. Uh, It just changes so much in the dynamics of, of Duke's offense. We saw that. In the fourth quarter against Florida State when he was out, they they just don't have a viable backup who can generate the same offense. So let's go with Louisville coming off this off week with a bounce back game after they lost to Pitt. Moving on, Tennessee is a three and a half point favorite at UK on Saturday. This is another game where, I mean, I think throughout these last few weeks, I've, I've given Kentucky the benefit of the doubt. I've believed they were going to turn a corner. I believe they were going to figure things out on offense. But after this last loss against Missouri at home, I no longer have that same belief. Even coming into this game from an off week where I'm sure they did uh, some tweaking of the offense and and will have some new wrinkles that Tennessee hasn't seen this season on film that should work out for them. But I'm still going to go with the Volunteers to cover that and to win straight up. Um, Tennessee, one thing, another small sample size, they are 5-0 and in their last five games against the spread at UK. 
So I, I like to look at trends and, and the history of things. And I think they will continue um, to to roll in that sense. So I'm going to stick with the Vols, play the points. And lastly, I didn't feel like there was a great national game to pick from this week, at least in terms of against the spread. But Notre Dame is a 20-point favorite at home against Pitt. And we saw what Pitt did against Louisville. Um, I, I still think that even though they can struggle at times offensively with this new quarterback to kind of have a new life, and I, I just don't think the Irish are all that explosive to to say that they're gonna they're gonna cover twenty points. Um, you know, they had a great game against USC, obviously. USC contributed to that, and Pitt's defense is way better than USC's defense anyway. So I'm going to go with the Panthers on the road as a road dog. Notre Dame to win, Pitt to cover. That will do it for Pickup Lines, and that will do it for this episode of the C.L. Brown Show. I thank you for tuning in. Make it easy for yourself. Click on those subscribe buttons so this podcast will be waiting for you in your inboxes or in your podcast app next Wednesday when it comes out with a new episode. I think next Wednesday we're going to take a deeper dive into basketball, which is on the horizon, coming off both the SEC Media Day last week and the ACC Media Day this week. We're going to jump into basketball. Of course, we're not going to neglect football, but Uh, I think next week will be a hoop spectacular show. Well, thank you once again for tuning in, my friends. Please, if you feel so inclined, if you like what you hear, leave a positive review. And we're looking at five stars, right? Because we need more love in this world. Spread that love. Let me feel that love, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Catch you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.